When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you wherever you are. I hope you're having a wonderful Thursday. We hope to make it uh, even better for you in the next uh, three hours with our show courtesy of Brandt, your local John Deere equipment supplier. We have uh, an interview with Craig McMillan coming up. Of course, uh, Craig McMillan, uh, Black Cap, uh, former Black Cap, now cricket commentator. He's been a former Black Cap coach as well. Um, on that uh, one day or overnight, and uh, what's coming up for the Black Caps and how are we shaping up uh, for what's uh, coming up as well, a style of cricket we're looking to play. Um, at around 9.32, uh, we're going to revisit uh, an interview that uh, was with uh, Rob Walter. Um, he, of course, is uh, the coach of the Central Stags, but he's now been uh, appointed the white ball coach for South Africa. That is a tough job to take on for a number of reasons, so we'll be looking forward to listening uh, to that interview. We'll review what uh, happened in the tennis overnight. Uh, Corey Sweeney will come to us just after 10 o'clock. Of course, the Blackburn Sevens coach, uh, and one of the topics there is uh, no more Sevens in New Zealand. How do uh, he and his ladies feel about playing in what could be the last tournament, or are there moves afoot uh, to try and fix that situation? Brian Cooper is an incredible story. Uh, he uh, was interviewed by Stephen McIver uh, earlier, well, perhaps it might have been late last week, in fact. I missed it. I, I want to hear it. It's a story of a, a, a PGA pro uh, who has struggled mentally, physically, the whole deal to try and achieve his goal. Finally, he has. It's a wonderful story. Brian Cooper, uh, we'll, talk to, uh, we'll hear from that, his interview with Stephen McIver. It's riveting stuff. We'll have uh, a pacing for purpose horse for you too, uh, around about uh, 10 to 11 this morning. Um, and after that, we'll talk to Hugh Bain and, of course, basketball commentator, basketball ad- administrator too. Uh, and then we'll have a stump smithy around about uh, 11.30. Uh, some calls and texts on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. And then we'll hand over to Mark Watson uh, prior to 12 o'clock. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, the Braceville name has been synonymous with and integral to New Zealand cricket for decades now, four of them in fact. They've always given heart, soul and whatever they have left. They take losing pretty tough. They literally have dived through concrete walls to save boundaries. Most that have played with them wouldn't be fit to stand alongside them in the trenches, but they'd be very happy to stand behind them. There's two in in there battling away as we speak. Doug, a late replacement, and Michael becoming quite the star with an unrewarded century overnight. Not his first. Uh, So for Michael, his uncles Doug and Kevin and John and Brendan all played first-class rugby, so did his dad, Mark. Uh, John, Doug and Brendan, first-class cricket, so did his father, Mark. John and Brendan played test cricket, so did his cousin, Doug. And now Michael himself is fast becoming a fixture under the Black Caps and that's uh, after a pretty late start as well. Here tell one of his cousins, Cameron, son of John, has gone OK too in the mixed martial arts field. 
It's a family tree that would take a decent-sized chainsaw to cut down. In fact, you'd be stupid to try. The quintessential Kiwi-fighting, committed family who have the scars to prove their duty. New Zealand is that kind of country. We've produced some good ones over the years, haven't we? The Hadleys, the Clarks, the Adams. Honestly, there's any number. But day in and day out, these bracewells are right up there with the very best. The collective all-round Michael Bracewell package too is becoming top drawer. Bass becoming such an important part of the Black Cap strategy and performance. There are no doubt there are Bracewell kinfolk I have missed in this little piece and there will be some more branches of the family tree about to blossom and produce long may it continue. It's been a lineage that has served us all very, very well. Amazing game. I mean, amazing game of cricket uh, overnight uh, involving the Black Caps against India in Hyderabad. India batting first, scoring 349 for eight. Uh, that would uh, seem a pretty daunting task as you sit down over your curry lunch, I can tell you that. But they got a hell of a close. Uh, 337 on the back of uh, one of the good, one of the very good innings uh, from Michael Bracewell, of course, on the back of uh, India's superb performance by one Shubman Gill. 208 out of those 349 runs. What a masterclass that was. To talk us through it and uh, all things cricket in New Zealand at the moment is uh, former Black Cap and, of course, uh, Spark Sport commentator is Craig McMillan. G'day, Mac. How are you? Happy New Year. Yeah, you too, Sorry, Morning. That was good, wasn't it? Um, when I say good, didn't win, but uh, showed a lot of spirit <laughs> in the chase. Yeah, they did. I mean, it was some game of cricket, wasn't it? Who said that 50-over cricket is dying and irrelevant? I thought... Um, yeah, this is the perfect preparation, I guess, for New Zealand heading into that World Cup in India in October and November. But, um, yeah, they'll look back on it and say 12 runs, it's only two shots, two hits, that they got that close that they'll be a bit disappointed because there was a couple of areas that they perhaps will look to tidy up and, and improve on later in the series. OK, let's uh, look at, first of all, the, the innings of uh, Shubman Gill, who obviously will now be a factor. Uh, going forward in the T20 and uh, the 50-over uh, side of things for India. Uh, this is a, a, a guy we've seen in New Zealand recently, but hasn't quite, hasn't quite uh, up until now, shown uh, that kind of class uh, obviously he's got. We've seen a little bit of him, haven't we? And, and he's played a little bit of test cricket for India without really nailing it. But when you talk to people in India, Smithy, they always mention his name and say, this kid, Shimon Gill, is going to be a star player for India for years to come. So... I think we got a taste of it last night of how good he's going to be in the coming years. That was a quality innings. It's an innings that you want from one of your top three. When they get in, you want them to get a big hundred. He obviously went further with a double hundred. But the way he took that New Zealand attack apart in the last three or four overs, to me, was the difference in the game. I think New Zealand conceded 46 runs in their final three overs. Lockie Ferguson um, got taken to. Uh, Shubman Gill hit five sixes and eight balls at one stage, including three in a row off Lockie Ferguson. So at one stage, I thought New Zealand had done a pretty good job for them and pulled things back and maybe 325, 330 was what India were going to get. But Shubman Gill showed his power and showed the advantage of having someone that had been in for close to 50 overs batting-wise and he really put the foot down on those final three or four overs. Uh, to be fair, Mac, it's not very often we see or have done in the previous years in white ball cricket a bowling attack without uh, either Southie or Bolt. Uh, and here we're headed by Shipley, Ferguson and Tickner. So it's a pretty raw look uh, about that bowling attack. But out of one or, the, or two of those uh, pl- bowlers, uh, we have to find something that we're confident is going to deliver uh, in a few months' time over there. Yeah, it's a good point, Smilly. Well, I think someone mentioned maybe 12 years 
since the New Zealand last fielded a one-day international team that didn't have either Southie or Bolt, so that's quite a period of time. And you're right, that bowling attack was quite raw. Um, Shipley is going to be a talent for New Zealand in coming years. There's no doubt that um, he's got the skill set to be an impressive all-rounder. Um, at the moment, he's more of a bowling all-rounder. He looked nervous last night, and obviously when you're playing India and India, they tend to come quite hard at you. The batting conditions were good, so I thought he fought back well at the end. He was expensive to begin with. Um, he just struggled to find a consistent line and length. Um, wasn't Ferguson's best night either. He, he probably hasn't been at his, his best for a period of time for New Zealand. Um, that over that went for 21, the 49th, was quite a crucial one. But you throw, I guess, uh, Matt Henry will come straight back into that New Zealand lineup. Um, Kyle Jamieson, I think this New Zealand side's missing Kyle Jamieson at the moment, and Tim Southey as well. Um, and all of a sudden, it looks like a different attack, doesn't it? It does. It does in terms of experience as well. What chance are you thinking? Uh, it's quite a way out yet. What chance are you thinking, Trent Bolt, for that World Cup? Good question. Um, I think it's one of those ones that's still 50 50 and still probably being discussed um, by um, powers of B. Look, Trent Bolt at the end of the day for me, he's made his decision. He wants to play franchise T20 cricket around the world, and that's fine. He's earned that right. Um, he's been a terrific servant for New Zealand for a long period of time, but I don't think that's the perfect preparation really um, in terms of preparing yourself for a 50-over World Cup um, because a lot of that franchise cricket is quite a few runs down from the international level that he wouldn't have been playing for 12 months or more. So I think when you look at Henry, you've got Saudi, um, you've got Jameson. Um, to me, there's enough depth within this New Zealand side that perhaps Trent Bolt won't be needed at that World Cup. Does that sort of fit the bill also for the likes of uh, de Grandholm and Nisham then? Yeah, well, I think that's the reason that someone like a Henry Shipley is getting opportunities. You know, for a James Nisham who's, um, you know, has been a part of this one-day side for a, for a period of time. Um, and, and we actually need to see how good some of these younger players are. So these, we've lost some experience and we perhaps um, haven't got our A-side right on on track right at the moment, we're actually getting to find out and see um, how good some of these other players are, opportunities for them. Um, I, I really like the look of this New Zealand middle water, Smitty, I think, and you'll know from being in India, playing in India a lot as well, that um, raw power in that middle to lower order is key because the fact is you're going to be chasing 300 plus. If you're going to win a World Cup, you're going to have to either set 300 plus or you're going to have to chase it. So having guys like a Glenn Phillips at six, a Michael Bracewell at seven, a Mitchell Santner at eight, those sorts of guys in that lower order are going to be the ones that get you home in those big chases. That's an interesting point. I, I had Phillips in, in big letters here, um, Mac on my notepad, and I was just going to ask you about, have we got it right with Phillips at six um, in 50 over cricket? Yeah, I think we have, because we've seen how well he's done at T20 cricket, Smithy. He's, he's shown power. He's a little guy, but he hits the ball a long way. I think he's a real performer in um, subcontinent conditions where the ball's turning and generally staying a bit low. Of course, we saw that in that third ODI in Pakistan and Karachi where he basically got New Zealand out of a hole and won the series for them. So I think in that sixth spot, it's a crucial one because quite often, um, from my experience of batting a little bit at six as well, you come in generally when um, the run rate is high, so it's generally in that 8 to 12 mark. Um, the game's on the line. You need someone that's prepared to be brave, which... Glenn Phillips is. Um, he's not always going to come off, but his ability and the skill set and the power 
to win games in that slot. So I really like the way um, five, six, seven line up. Um, obviously, you throw Kane Williamson back in at three um, instead of a Henry Nichols, and it looks a very strong batting lineup to me. One of the interesting things to me, and I'll, I'll say this without uh, with the forerunner that there was uh, no Ashwin, there's no Jadeja, who may well be part of their uh, one-day mix when it comes to the crunch, but uh, the ability to play spin is going to be key throughout the series, and I think anyone that handles it well regularly uh, must be considered very closely. Yeah, it's a good point, and that's why Tom Latham is so important in this New Zealand lineup at five, Smithy, because we've seen it. I've seen it up close on previous tours. I remember a partnership between Tom Latham and Ross Taylor actually back in Mumbai um, a couple of tours ago, where they won us the game. They just were able to bat to rotate the strike. And so I think in terms of the power we talked about at 6, 7, 8 with Phillips, Bracewell and Santner that are generally guys that hit boundaries um, and strike the ball hard. Tom Latham's got a little bit more finesse to his game. So in that five slot, he's going to be really... I guess he's almost... So you've got the glue at Williamson at three and Latham at five to bat around those power players. So if New Zealand mm. can get it right and those players are full of confidence, then to me they cover most of the bases, which is exciting. It is exciting, actually, when you... You start to nail it down the, uh, the, the way that you have. Um, uh, on Kane Williamson, uh, there was a, a little period of time, I think, when everyone around the world who regard him so highly were just a little bit worried he might have come uh, towards the end of it. Uh, but a double hundred and a test match and some pretty good form there. Um, but losing the test captaincy, I've got to say, I, I didn't see that coming. Did you see that coming, uh, the test captaincy, or would you have thought he might have lost the white ball captaincy? I wasn't sure, Smithy, to be honest. I thought there was going to be a change coming. Um, I, I was a bit like you. I wasn't sure which way it was going to be. And, and I look at the likes of Virat Kohli and Joe Root and, and similar players to Kane, obviously, um, have had a lot on their plate over a number of years. Kane, the same. Um, and I look at the way that they've been re-energised, I think, by, by John, um, either the captaincy full-time or, or part of the captaincy. And, and I think that's going to be good for Kane because... The captaincy is a tough job, Smithy, especially in all three formats. All three games are so different. Um, and I'm sure that he was consulted and he decided that that was the track that he wanted to go down. So I think it's exciting. I think for longevity, it will probably prolong his career, which is also a good thing for New Zealand cricket. And, um, you know, the run in terms of the runs, it was always going to be a matter of time, wasn't it? Yes, he'd been a little bit light because he'd set the bar so high over a long period of time, but... It was good mm. to see him back to his best in that Pakistan series, and I think the runs will continue to flow now. He'll have a bit more time to himself. I mean, he's had a couple of young kids. He's different time. He's in a different period of his life as well in terms of the time and what he does. So I think it will be good for him and probably just re-energise his career. Uh, Mac, um, obviously also an integral part of our summer yet to come as uh, the Test matches against... Uh, England, who are absolutely on fire at the moment, playing with uh, this yeah. style of cricket. It's called Baz Ball, although he doesn't want to uh, he doesn't want to call it that. Baz, you, your good friend Brendan. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> see them changing. I don't see them changing their tactics here in terms of their mindset. Anyway, how are we going to counter that? It's a good question. There's no way in the world that they're going to change the way they play. That they play that way regardless of the conditions. We've seen it in England. We saw it in Pakistan, where it's been successful. Um, Good question. I think one of the keys for this New Zealand side, Smithy, will be not getting too caught up in it because a lot of the focus goes on England and the way they're playing, how quickly they're scoring, baseball, that. 
New Zealand need to stay true to their style, which is not the England style, um, and they have to play their best cricket with their style. So that will be a key for them um, because because the game moves so quickly with the way England play, um, quite often you can just get caught up in it. But I think back um, a few years ago, and you remember uh, new on the comms team, Smithy, it's uh, the pink ball test at Eden Park, um, where New Zealand bowled England out for 60-odd, 68, whatever it was, and it, the ball mm-hmm. swung, Southend bowled had the ball swinging. And with the style of play that England, that is a possibility, they can get bowled out cheaply. So there is an opportunity for New Zealand in New Zealand conditions with the ball swinging or seeming to actually make some inroads into that England batting lineup um, and put them under pressure. Um, you know, you've got two very good bowling attacks that are going to test both batting lineups, I think, in New Zealand conditions. And obviously the first test of the series is a pink ball test, which is going to be exciting at the mount. So um, it's going to be great to have them on our shores and certainly bring in the entertaining style of cricket that they're playing will be great but you know we've got they did us 3-0 over the winter um, so there's a bit of a bit of a catch up for New Zealand and they'll be looking forward to this series to try and um, return return the favour of what they got in the UK The other player I think is worthy of, of mentioning now is uh, Ish Sodi. I, I, I just kind of think this is starting to become a, a bit of a watershed season for Ish Sodi. I'm I'm sensing uh, he feels a little bit more part of the part, uh, part of the jigsaw. Yeah, it was an important tour. He, he bowled beautifully, didn't he? He's been in and out of that New Zealand side, well, especially the one day in the Test side for a period of time where he hasn't really nailed down a number of opportunities that he's had. He's been a constant player on that T20 side, and he's and he's been a very good T20 bowler for quite a long period of time. It's an interesting one, the dynamic, because in New Zealand, spinners are generally um, only ever get to bowl in the second innings of of a match. Um, the first innings is generally the seamers that do the job, and there's generally a reluctance by New Zealand to play a spinner in New Zealand conditions. I mean, Ajaz Patel's played a number of test matches and hardly bowled. So it'll be interesting just to see the dynamic. You've got Michael Bracewell as well, Smithy, and I know that... Um, they like him because of his batting. So a bit like Mitchell Santner for a period of time he played on that test side. Because of the mm-hmm. batting, they felt that they needed that all-rounder. But at the end of the day, I think when you're picking a bowling lineup, you pick your best bowlers. So I guess the question is, is Stody as your number one spinner or is it Ajaz Patel? And I guess it's the New Zealand coach and the New Zealand selectors will have to work out heading into that England series. Um, the other thing I would be interested to know is what kind of pitches do we just produce those traditional pitches where our seamers have dominated over the years, bearing in mind no Trent Bolt anymore, or do we say Jack Leach can't bowl us out surely and give the spinners more of a chance? Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one because Jack Leach actually had reasonable success against this New Zealand over the winter um, in England conditions that do tend to grip and turn a little bit more, but I think we stay true to what we know, Smithy. I think that's our best chance of success. It's um, what has made this team so good over a period of time. They've had their success in New Zealand conditions when the ball um, has swung, when there's been a bit of seam movement, so there's been some greenness in the surface. Um, so I think they have to stay true to that and say, look, we know our home conditions better than any. East England are a good side and will be a handful in those conditions with the likes of Anderson and Broad. Um, but we're going to back ourselves that if we play our best cricket, stick to our style, 
um, have players in form and confident throughout that series that we're going to do well and win. Sounds good, Mac. Uh, I know you'll be very much a part of it in the commentary team. Look forward to watching it. Um, and I, I, I actually do look forward to this contest. Uh, as you say, they fixed us up big time over there. It's time for a bit of payback. Uh, have we got the quality? We'll see. Cheers, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. Good analysis. Thanks, Millie. Always good chat. Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah cheers. Craig McMillan there with us uh, here on SENZ in the mornings. And uh, the time is 9.23. Yeah, some uh, interesting texts have come in on the back of uh, the cricket last night. Uh, how long is Jameson out for? What injury does he have? Well, he had a back injury. Uh, my understanding is uh, I saw footage of him playing uh, club cricket as such. I haven't seen too much of him back in the Auckland Aces. That will be the uh, acid test for him. Um, I'm not even too sure that they're seriously considering for uh, any cricket here at home. They may well get him involved later towards the end of the, the season. We've still got a little bit of cricket left to play, but... My info tells me uh, he's a little bit away just yet, Kyle Jamieson. Um, but uh, as Craig McMillan pointed out, we need him big time uh, because without Bolt, uh, we've lost a, a big factor there. And uh, Jamieson was so dynamic early on, fully fit, wasn't he? Terrific bowler. Uh, good morning, Smithy. Uh, Happy New Year to you and your family and work colleagues. I just arrived back from Europe yesterday afternoon. Perfect night to have jet lag and not to be able to sleep because what an unbelievable game of cricket. I didn't see the first innings with Gills 200, but I watched the whole New Zealand batting innings. I must say I nearly gave up when Latham went out. Pleased I didn't. My hypothetical question is should Bracewell have got us over the line who would have got, who, and who would have got man of the match? Uh, still Gill or would Bracewell have got it? Interesting discussion. Probably. Uh, you don't see too many 200s in uh, international one-day cricket. Probably would have gone to Shubman Gill, but uh, there would have been a lot of thinking about it because... The man of the match performance, uh, or player of the match, they like to call it these days. Uh, it generally should go to the guy who's had the most impact on the, out, uh, on the outcome of the game. And if Bracewell got us home, of course, that would have been the story. But the, then some will say, well, Shivman Gill set up the game with a magnificent 200. Uh, it is a bit of a hypothetical question. It's one of those we'll never know. But it was always an early talking point, wasn't it? Way, way back when we uh, beat Australia at Hobart and uh, the test match. And uh, for some strange reason, they gave man of the match to David Warner. And there wasn't that a sign to come. I think that was his second test match. Uh, so, yeah, uh, an interesting. Craig. Hey, nice to have you back, Craig, uh, in the country. And uh, get over that jet lag, mate. We need you as a listener. Hi, Smithy. How much did Bracewell make for himself with one innings in India for their T- 2020 competition? Well, that's the thing. Um, he will be putting his name in lights over there. Continued performance like that, uh, playing in Indian conditions. Um, and then um, Michael Bracewell, late in life, I think, can expect some sort of decent paycheck. If you star up against India and at home, uh, you certainly beca- do become a big factor when it comes to a possible auction. Uh, Mikey says, uh, morning Ian, great performance by two batters in particular, but for the other batters on both sides, does that say they're demons in the pitch or some, or some sloppy batting? Interesting. Also, Bracewell is surely a must-pick in the white ball game. Yes, he is, Mikey. He is now. Uh, very much a, a factor. And uh, Craig McMillan picked up on a good point. New Zealand always love to have... Um, a spinner or a part-time spinner in the ranks as batting insurance and certainly he becomes that as well uh, look I, I didn't see a whole lot of the game wrong time for me otherwise I'd still be asleep but here's the thing um, you know it, it, they are difficult batting conditions over there at times but when you get in you've got to cash in and that's what Bracewell and Shubman Gill absolutely did good signs for Michael Bracewell and the Black Caps going forward it's 9.31 Time to turn our attentions to the main event in New Zealand sport uh, this weekend. Of course, that is the the Sevens, the World Rugby Sevens being held in Hamilton. And emotions will be high 
for uh, a number of reasons, especially that after more than two decades, first in Wellington, these days in Hamilton, World Rugby has decided not to stage a tournament in New Zealand going forward. Uh, we don't know how for long that period will last at this point. This planning is still in there, but certainly not immediately going forward as they look to cut back on some of the venues. It's the end of an era for both the Black Fence Sevens team and uh, the All Black Sevens team as well. And joining us to talk about this uh, just a little bit more and plans for the weekend is the Black Ferns Sevens head coach, Corey Sweeney. Corey, good morning to you. Thank you for your time. Morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Corey, uh, a, a really a good weekend to look forward to, but there will be some emotion. I've seen uh, two or three of your uh, senior players quoted in, uh, in various media sources saying how, uh, how much of a shame it is that uh, we might not be back here. So there'll be emotion about what you do. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know we love playing at home. We love we love playing in front of our families, and and that's a really real special moment and one we we look forward to every year. And I think coming off the back of what uh, Black Ferns 15s were able to achieve with you know connection to New Zealanders and playing at home in front of, in front of friends and family is uh, was was unbelievable and, and an experience that they'll never forget. So you know, there's certainly emotion around the fact that this. This is the last one for a while, and hopefully we'll um, embrace the moment and, and do New Zealanders proud, but for us to, to really enjoy it as well. Have you talked about it much as a unit leading up? Yeah, we've had, we have had chats around it, and I think you know, we acknowledge the fact of what it is. Um, we, it's quite different for, the, for our team, the women's team. With, the men have played for 21 years and at home and in front of New Zealand crowds, and no, I guess in the background, the, the women have been working really hard to develop their game until they get an opportunity to play at home, and that mm. happened um, twice so in a fast four, um, I think in 2019, and then obviously three years ago with the first exposure on the World Series here in Hamilton, so, and that was an amazing feeling, and we all remember it. Um, so the journeys have been quite different, and I think you know from our perspective, we've only just really been getting started playing at home, and then for, for there not to be a another continuation of the World Series beyond this. You know, that um, that is sad. It's sad for the game, sad for, sad for us, and we want to make sure that we find a way with New Zealand rugby to make sure that sevens are still played in New Zealand. Uh, Corey, uh, of course, you mentioned just before the, the euphoria and the performance of the Black Ferns 15s and uh, a number of, your, number of your players are being integrated back in, of course, along the way, as it has tended to happen uh, over the last year or two. Uh, how's the squad knitted back together and how are you able to keep a lid on things for those players returning from all that excitement? It's actually been amazing. Um, the last the last three weeks we were, we've been together, it's actually felt like, you know, our, our whanau's back together. We've, we certainly missed those girls last year and really proud of, you know, what they were able to achieve with the 15s, as we are of the young girls that stepped up in Dubai and Cape Town but to have everybody back together it's been a really nice feel and as you can imagine selection has been difficult um, and in the, you know, our 15s ladies getting back into sevens and getting back into the team but our real focus has, has been around reintegrating the two um, groups back together uh, and learning you know the 15s brought some amazing learnings back into our environment and, and hopefully some of our younger girls are able to share those as well with our returning players so um, you know we're excited about what this weekend brings um, and you know we, we just feel whole again at the moment. You guys uh, set very high standards um, for obvious reasons 
Um, but uh, the last time you were the complete unit as such, uh, and the biggest project was perhaps the Commonwealth Games, and of course it didn't quite go the way that you wanted there. Uh, have you fo- focused uh, a little bit on that and, and um, what you've, you've gained from that experience? Yeah, I mean, obviously disappointing with the result at Commonwealth Games, and um, you know we obviously didn't play at our best last year uh, in, in times, and you know some of that was um, you know a bounce of a ball against Australia in, in the last minute. We certainly had opportunities to win that in the in the semi final, but it was a massive year last year, and you know some of our reflections three pinnacle events for the for female rugby players in one year is is something that will probably never be repeated. Um, however, it was it was an amazing opportunity, and we we obviously weren't able to get all three of those um, at the levels that we wanted to. So, you know, there's some real hunger and drive um, to get back on track in in a, in a winning in a winning way. But ultimately, we want to we want to play and perform the way that we know how, and we want to do that in front of our our friends and family this weekend. Do you change your strategies according to opponent, or you just focus on what you're doing? Oh, we certainly now. I think the game's evolving. We've seen since the Olympics that you know there's there's a number of teams that have progressed their game, and it's no longer about having just the physical athlete. It's that the game's evolving really quickly, and so we we certainly need to take into account the different the different styles of the teams and we're playing. And we've got Fiji in our pool up, uh, second game, and we know that you know they bring a a really unique style to to the way that they play the game, and, and GB almost the other end of of that spectrum and so being able to prepare differently and, and have different strategies going into both those are going to be important to you know how how we play. Corey, years ago we would have thought New Zealand and maybe one or two other teams are likely to win this tournament. It's a bit more widespread than that now, isn't it? 100%. We're seeing, you know, there's, I think there's six or seven teams that can beat anyone on the day and I guess the question around sevens, which is what I love about sevens, it's you've got six games in two days, and, and essentially what we've got over the next two weekends is we've got 12 games over five days. Um, so it's a team that can deal with change and adversity and, and the way in which things happen over game to game or day to day or week to week that is going to come out on top. And um, we were we did a great job, of the girls did a great job of doing that um, in Dubai and Cape Town, and we want to repeat that. But yeah, there's a real challenge. With um, we know the competition is growing, and we've got to be on top of our game every single time we take that field. So, in your final um, mix this weekend, who has returned, and who don't you have available to you for injury purposes, etc.? Um, yeah, so we, we've pretty much got a full squad of 19 available. We had uh, Kelly Brazier, who um, has been pulled out due to injury for for the Hamilton um, Hamilton tournament. So we will have um, Portia, Sarah, uh, Teresa, and Stacey that will all return to the 13 for this weekend, which is which is really exciting, and for them to to get back onto the world stage after missing sort of six months of sevens. Um, but we've, we've essentially had a full squad to select from, and that's been a a real treat, but also you know a, a real challenging conversation with coaches and players to to get that right yeah interesting selections i'm sure uh porsche's an interesting story we all know what happened to her in the the world cup final uh corey i just wonder how she's been integrated back in the side how she's feeling yeah she's she obviously um you know she's got a 
a bit of a story to tell around her experience in the 15s and also that final and not, not really remembering too much, which was you know, disappointing for her on a number of levels. One, you know, not being able to celebrate with the team but also remember, um, you know, remember that moment. So she's also uh, got herself married to to Renee uh, Wycliffe over the holiday period. So she's she's had a great leave period and she's come, come back in fizzing ready for sevens. Um, you know, her, her reintegration back in um, has been pretty smooth so far, um, and she'll certainly get some game time this weekend, which will which we all look forward to. Uh, we all know, and I've spoken to her on a number of occasions about the leadership qualities and just uh, the mana, I guess, uh, is the word um, that uh, Sarah Hirani brings to any group she's involved with. But having her back in and as a fixture as well, what does that mean to a, a head coach? Oh, it's very comforting. Um, you know, I still remember the, the 4th of January when she walked through the doors and she just brought this aura with her as she walked through and, you know, you knew that she was in the building. Uh, the players knew that she was there and there was a real calming presence. Um, you know, she's a leader that is the ultimate professional. Um, she doesn't necessarily say a lot, but when she does, you know, people listen and, and people understand the importance of her her message. So, you know, her leadership will be something that will enhance this group as her on-field ability. You know, she's one of the best set-piece forwards in the world in the game of sevens. Um, so it's a nice feeling to, to have our leader back um, on and off the field. And, you know, we'll certainly feel that this, this weekend in Hamilton and next weekend in Sydney. And, Corey, um, Australia, uh, we talked about a number of teams uh, being uh, capable of uh, winning any time these days or beating sides on a daily basis, but... There seems to be a nice little rivalry developing, even to a higher extent these days with Australia. It's a great rivalry. Um, you know, I think Australia have done a great job off the back of um, the Tokyo Olympics. They obviously didn't get the result that they wanted, and they've, they've changed some some players around, and they had a real emphasis, um, you know, on their physical conditioning. And there's no doubt that they are leading the way in that athlete space at the moment. They're, they're fast and can repeat efforts, um, you know, for 14 minutes times six games. So they're a real threat. Um, Tim Walsh has done a great job, you know, with that group over the last two years. So, you know, I think they've kind of set the benchmark over the last 12 months and, and we've mm. had a bit of work to mm. catch them. It was great to, you know, to get one over them in Cape Town, but there's absolutely no doubt that they will be fizzing and, and wanting to um, to come and prove a point this weekend. So the rivalry is great. Um, we we enjoy that competition and uh, we just hope we get another crack at, at playing them um, at some point over the next two weeks. Well, uh, this playing surface is undoubted. Carl Johnson comes up with amazing surface there in Hamilton, so I think that's a given. Um, Crowd-wise, what, what are you expecting? Um, something special last time round? Yeah, I, I would I would think so. Um, you know, I, I, I also feel that some of the some of the amazing connection that the Black Firm 15s had with New Zealand public last year will, you know, sort of flow over into this event. The last time in Hamilton, you know, I know a lot of our friends and family are doing everything they can to, to be here to support us and the the All Black Seven. So um, I still remember the the feeling um, in 2020 in Hamilton. That final moment was was unbelievable. So you know, I hope we um, we get to connect with the New Zealand public one last time before the World Series finishes and and they get to see and feel you know the real mana with 
that surrounds the Black Fern Sevens and the All Black Sevens one last time. Corey Sweeney, uh, head coach of the Black Ferns uh, Sevens. Uh, we wish you all the best uh, for what's coming up in the next fortnight, mate. The country's behind you, you know that. You know that. Um, and it's a great wave that uh, your women rugby players are surfing at the moment. Uh, enjoy. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks very much. Yeah, cheers. Corey Sweeney there. It's 9.45 here on SENZ. You got to know when the hold Know when the fold Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Uh, let down uh, by Jill Teichman yesterday. She was actually beaten very, very comfortably by uh, Lin Zhu from uh, China um, in the second round. So uh, that didn't help us out. She was pretty short to it, $1.39. So we weren't able to get up there. We'll have a, another crack today with the Dallas Mavericks to beat the uh, Atlanta Hawks. The Atlanta played well yesterday. They really did to, to beat the Heat. But I think the Mavericks will get them today at $1.75. Uh, Kasper Ruud, who's a very highly ranked tennis player, I think he'll beat Jensen Brooksby. Uh, the tote does too because it's a dollar thirty-one. And, and tonight, tonight in the Big Bash, the Sydney Thunder to beat the, the Renegades. Of course, uh, Guppy's playing for the Renegades, isn't he? At a dollar eighty-three. So multi those three up: the Dallas Mavericks into Kasper Ruud, into uh, the Sydney Thunder, and that is a dollar eighty-three. Just keep an eye on uh, FA Cup action this morning. There's one game, and it's Leeds United against Cardiff, and Leeds currently lead 3-0, so that looks like uh, they'll be happy at Allen Road and uh, up north there in England with that with that result. So a uh, good result for them as well. Um, and sad to see uh, Rafa Nadal bail out last night because uh, he's playing with uh, injury clearly, beaten by Mackenzie McDonald, 6-4, 6-4, 7-5. It's uh, injured a lot more these days, poor old Rafa, but he had the dignity at least to stay on the court. So his opponent, uh, Mackenzie McDonald, didn't win by um, a retired result. So um, Rafa Nadal, all class right to the end. Just wonder how long the old body is going to say to him, uh, enough's enough. We've had a lot of fun together, uh, but uh, time might be up for us. It's uh, coming up to 9.53 here on SENZ. Yeah, text coming in, a couple of them there. Uh, Smithy, was that not a sad sight? Yes, it was last night seeing Rafa go down again with yet another injury and playing out the game. Yeah, his opponent could claim the glory. Then the sad sight of him walking back to the locker room, possibly the last time we'll see him playing the Aussie Open. Very, very sad, I agree. Uh, what a man, what a man he has been for sport and for tennis. Right, uh, also uh, Paddy said, uh, hey Smithy, I've said this before, but I'm really worried about the Black Caps using part-time keepers in white ball cricket. Good point, Paddy. Uh, Latham dropped an, an edge last night. He dropped Gill when he was on 40-odd, and of course uh, Shulman Gill went on to make 200. That was the game. Pretty simple chance for an experienced keeper. Who is our best white ball keeper? Well, in terms of the balance of the side, um, he probably is at this point, but I, I would not be averse to trying Tom Blundell. Tom Blundell never lets New Zealand down. His keeping at the moment is as good as any New Zealand keeper has ever displayed before, particularly standing up to the wickets, which is crucial in the subcontinent. So I, I think there's a tick in the column for him there. Um, and, and give him a roll with the bat. He seems to deliver on most occasions. So that would be, uh, for me, Tom Blundell, I don't think would be a massive risk. Brian, I know we're getting into the 10 o'clock news, but news coming out of uh, the UFC, which might impact boxing. 
Yeah, it could have a huge impact on boxing. So the UFC have released the ba- the true baddest man on the planet, the bloke who will clear out a pub, Francis Ngannou, the former now heavyweight champion, lineal heavyweight MMA UFC champion, and uh, he wants to cross over to boxing. He wants to look at taking on the likes of Tyson Fury, who I think it was the last Tyson Fury fight. Uh, Fury pulled him into the ring, and they did a little cut, a little promo there. Uh, so the world is his oyster right now, um, and where he is going to land. Nobody quite knows yet, but uh, I would love to see him v Joshua, I think, because uh, Joshua's not the best technical boxer. It'll be a good brawl, good scrap. Still 3-0 to Leeds over Cardiff in the FA Cup, but in the Premier League as well, Crystal Palace 0, uh, Manchester United 1 at half-time, so they continue their resurgence, Manchester United, if that result holds true, uh, having a, a much better time of it in British football at the moment. Well, interesting development in cricket, uh, which uh, affects two countries, really. We're losing a, a good domestic coach uh, by the name of Rob Walter. He's leaving the CD Stags, uh, heading off to be the white ball coach for South Africa. So he'll be in charge of their T20 and their 50-over projects going forward. Of course, the, the last T20 effort was a shock loss to the Netherlands in the World Cup in Adelaide, uh, which, uh, of course, prompted the, all sorts of changes, all sorts of... Uh, post-mortems into how they bailed out of that tournament uh, when they were looking pretty damn good at one point. Um, so uh, w- it was interesting that uh, Rob uh, R- Rob Walter, CD coach, a new South African coach, uh, was able to join uh, Louis and, and Beaver on breakfast yesterday and uh, I missed uh, the interview, so I'm really keen to, to catch up with his thoughts on that. Um, but he's coaching a pretty good side at the moment. Um, of course, Rob Walter, they're going very well. The Central Stags are uh, the top of the T20. Um, the super smash in this country at this point, And that's on the back um, of uh, some good performance. They won at Eden Park, and then they turned around uh, in terms of uh, the Ford Trophy, uh, drove down to Hamilton and knocked over Northern Districts with a magnificent opening partnership uh, at the top of the order. Um, and, and that was something special between uh, Brad Spullian and Ben Smith. So... Side's going well. This is what he had to say about CD cricket. Uh, ben Smith's played unbelievably well. Um, I've been on the receiving end of his high score, which is 149, and so happy to be watching from a, from a <laughs> position of strength. Yesterday, as he scored 145, um, obviously an opening partnership, uh, you know, of 250, you know, was awesome as well. So to to see the guys play that type of cricket I'd, I'd sort of never in my wildest dreams thought we you know we'd get a bonus point and chase it in under forty. Uh but the start was that strong that it allowed us to do that. So yeah, I mean the guys have got great confidence at the moment. It's always lovely to watch a team that has got confidence playing well. Um you kinda of feel anything's possible and we've showed that a little bit in the T twenty space as well. Yeah, they've got uh, players coming and going. They've had a little bit of uh, Ross Taylor in the side for experience. He hasn't exactly fired up to his uh, high standards, Ross Taylor, but, uh, you know, he will make an impact uh, at some point throughout the competition. Uh, Rob Walter, of course, as I said, taking over the South African job and their their current state of cricket is not good. I won't say the word turmoil, but it's not far off it. Here's what he had to say about that situation. I think when you start out on the journey, uh, one of the aspirations is, to, to take charge of an international side. So uh, it's probably always in the back of your mind. I don't necessarily think it's something you think about regularly, but um, yeah, when the opportunity came along, it was a pretty awesome uh, opportunity for me. 
What are the challenges facing cricket at the moment, Rob? Um, you, you get a, you've got a, obviously an incredible look under the hood at New Zealand domestic cricket since you've been here with Otago and CD. But that trickling up towards the international stage and the amount, the congested calendar, the amount these players are playing, um, the lack of resource that some countries have versus others, what are the challenges you, you see for yourself? Oh, I think much like New Zealand, one of the imminent challenges is obviously the, the leagues, uh, the T20 leagues that are popping up. Um, I, I saw an article stating there's four uh, separate T20 leagues happening at the moment. So uh, there's a lot of uh, opportunity out there. Uh, it's, it's a lot of dollar-based opportunities. So obviously for Saifkins, uh, that's uh, an appealing opportunity. Uh, and... It's really to try and hold on to the talent, I think, um, and your senior players who then have an opportunity. Like you see Mumbai Indians now, they, they own three or four teams. So I think we're not far away from Mumbai Indians owning players and those players playing all their different leagues. Um, and that'll be a real challenge, I think, for the for the smaller international countries who don't have as big a budget as the big ones do. And then I guess it's a fact of you're relying on, I guess, like New Zealanders, South Africans, great pride in their country to actually want to play for play for the national team and, and put a bit of that aside? Yeah, absolutely. It's just, a, I guess, the question is how long does that last for, you know? Uh, yeah. The, the money that we're talking about is, is fairly significant and I don't think the, the countries will ever be able to match that. So, uh, yeah, or potentially there's some thinking around moving into how the South African rugby model has worked in a, in a manner of saying, well, you know, once you've played 30 to 50 games for your country, you, I will allow you to play in these leagues, but still be eligible to play for your country. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think that, that type of thinking can be too far away if we want to keep our best players, but still allow them to earn what they can potentially earn through the game. It's uh, 10.08 here on SENZ. That was the voice of uh, Rob Walter, uh, who's about to become the new South African uh, white ball cricket coach. Now, Robbie Farland is, uh, Robbie McFarland is with us uh, as a producer this morning, Robbie, uh, Robbie Mack. And um, uh, what, he, what he's going to have to encounter over there, I've been talking to Sean Pollock about this uh, whilst I've been commentating with him. There's a lot of politics in South African cricket uh, that don't exist in this country. So that will be interesting. And, of course, you're governed to a certain extent by who you can pick because of a quota system. Yeah, it's 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 just it's not going well for them, mate. It's going to be very interesting to see what they do over there. Um, yeah, it's they they haven't won a they haven't won a test since August. They actually beat England in at Lords by an innings and twelve runs back in August. But ever since then, it's been a bit downhill. Yeah, they they report his side. There's no doubt about it. And some of those players actually filter across into the one-day side of things. Uh, their captain in the T20 World Cup was uh, Bavuma, Temba Bavuma. Um, and he did not have a happy time with it. They forced him to open the batting. Um, and that's not his role. Uh, and then they asked him to do the leadership side of things. And things went horribly awry, particularly in the performance against the Netherlands. So... Uh, I think one of the first things that Rob Waddle might have to do is look at a change in leadership and batting lineup. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. There's a lot of changes that uh, probably probably do need to be made. Um, I'm unaware of the options that they could go to next. It's uh, not really my forte to say um, who they could potentially look at, but I'm sure there are different options, and Rob Walter will be a good change to um, have a have a yeah new. I don't know, look in uh, what they could potentially do differently.
on the job he's doing here. Uh, he'll be missed by Central Districts. They're playing some good cricket. They are playing really good cricket, yeah. At, um, towards the top of all three all three tables. Um, yeah, second in the Plunkett Shield at the top of the Ford Trophy and the Super Smash. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up without uh, the likes of Rob Walter. Do you expect, um, we are talking to uh, Craig McMillan about it a, a little bit earlier on, do you expect uh, that the New Zealand cricket will continue to keep the door open for Trent Bolt, and should they? It is a good question. Um, I, I think, I, I, I think they should, um, or at least, I, I think they should make a call. I, I don't think it should be, um, you know, whether the the players that. Um, have decided to go play elsewhere can just kind of come in and pick and choose when when they want to. I think they really need to make a decision like whether um, whether those players do continue to be available or whether you know if they decide to um, pick up different contracts like they have whether that's just it and they can't be eligible to play. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing, and I think it's an, an ongoing to, thing too, Robbie. I mean. It's, uh, there's more and more examples, I think, going to happen as there's more and more leagues creep up. I mean, there's three, there's three now going on at this point around the world. There is a T20 league in South Africa, their initial one. There's a T21 in Dubai, their initial one. Uh, of course, the Big Bash goes on. We try to match it over here with the Super Smash. Um, but all those, all those competitions, they need players, Robbie. Where are they going to get them from? I mean, New Zealand, I think, are going to be drained even further. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot happening. It's it's crazy to wrap your head around all of it. I mean, I I read something somewhere about like people can't even keep track of where players are going. You know, Colin Munro was at the Brisbane Heat, and then someone was saying he's over captaining a side in South Africa or something in a T20 comp, and I can't keep track of it all. There's there's a lot happening. So what what effectively does happen in those leagues? It happens in the CPL as well. A lot of those are, are co-owned by Indian owners. So IPL. The second team uh, from an IPL franchise becomes one in South Africa. Therefore, if you are contracted to their IPL team in India as such, they can have dibs on you and pull you out of competitions, as has been seen in the Big Bash in Australia, to go and play for those particular franchises in either Dubai or South Africa. That's why you see the, the traffic now coming and going out of the BBL itself, which was, at this time of the year, the most powerful T20 league. Uh, now, of course, India, who have no ownership in Australia, are starting to pull their weight in those other ones to make sure that those franchises have players of real significance. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, they, they also have um, decent sides to start off and give credibility to those competitions. So we're going to see more and, and more of that. Uh, Robbie, thanks very much for your thoughts there. Uh, yeah, we, we talked a, a little bit about um, the Australian Open. Um, and it's it's worthy just uh, recapping on and what happened on day three. Of course, there was some rained over uh, rained off matches that had to be completed from day two. Um, first up, though, uh, Sitsipas the Greek up against Hijikata uh, from Japan. Sitsipas will send it straight off the toes. Why Hijikata was a good get, but then it was an open passage. Once Sitsipas uh, got forward to hit it cross court for a winner. And he's broken here for 3-2. What a pick-up by Hidji Carter, but what a return by Sitsipas. Sitsipas, so he'll put the serve down the tee for a clean ace. Charging in Rinky, put it in the corner. Up the line, attempt there by Sitsipas. Great volley by Hidji Carter. Up the line by Sitsipas. Great angle on the cross-court forehand. 
by Hitchy Carter. So he was dictating the court positioning there and Sitsipas did well. Great angle by Sitsipas trying to guide it up the line. Rinky, he's just drifted it wide and just like that, three match points. Second serve. Hitchy Carter's forehand into the net and that gives Stefano Sitsipas a second round victory at the Australian Open. In the end, it was pretty comprehensive after a competitive first set. 6-3, 6-love, 6-2. Yep, that was an interesting one. And uh, one of the real prospects now that Nadal has gone is, of course, Daniel Medvedev, uh, the Russian. He was up against uh, local lad uh, Jonathan Millman. Um, and that uh, was a match with some real quality as well. A lot of cross-court balls. We've seen that a lot tonight. Johnny in the white shirt. Daniil's in the red. He's a little further behind the baseline. He goes up the line, John. Catches uh, Medvedev napping. He's in trying to have a presence. And then Medvedev has found a way to pass. <laughs> a beautiful backhand cross-court for a winner. You'd probably think Sebastian Corder. He's just underway in his match. Uh, made that final against Djokovic. He's in again, Johnny, into the net. I'm enjoying that part of it. If he's going to go down, go down coming forward. <laughs> Forehand cross-court by Milman, likewise by Medvedev. Catches the tape, Milman's forehand, and falls onto the right part of the court for John to stay alive. Lands the serve right at the tee. Forehand is long off the racket of Medvedev. And can I hear you? A little bit louder, please. Milman off the serve. He's in charging in. Great volley there by Medvedev. He's been passed by Milman. Medvedev goes out wide for a clean ace. Job done. A little flex. <laughs> a little wry smile. And a bit of respect for the Aussie. As a great competitor. Daniil Medvedev. He's got eyes for the title this fortnight. 10.21 here on SENZ. And if you uh, really want to have a, a good golf book read, try books by uh, John Feinstein, who is, uh, I think, the best golf author around. He's written several over the years on the subject of the PGA, um, the majors, uh, a season on the brink, which is uh, about to try and qualify for a Q school. There's one specifically about uh, tales from a Q school. Again, it tells stories of depression. It tells stories of uh, worry, of panic, of poverty, uh, all sorts of wonderful things about just trying to stay or qualify for the PGA Tour. And one example of that, there's a bloke by the name of Brian Cooper. This is an incredible story of overcoming depression to gain a PGA Tour Champions card. And now uh, we have uh, the privilege of listening to an interview uh, that he did with Stephen McIver a little bit earlier on. This is riveting stuff. The word depression brings up many, many things. Uh, you can talk about the black dog, but it affects too many people in New Zealand and too many people around the world. But you can overcome it with help. And you can follow your dreams. And that's where the story of Brian Cooper, now a senior champions tour golfer, comes to play. Because he overcame depression, and but, but he was very public about it. And we're going to ask him why, what happened, and how good does it feel to be dealing with the black dog and doing what he loves. He joins us right now. Hello, Brian. Thanks for joining us on SCNZ. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. No, you are more than welcome, my friend. I was reading the story here, and it, it is one of many stories that happen around the world. But for some reason, uh, seeing a fifty-five-year-old, seeing uh, which is a similar age to me, uh, dealing with this and then finally achieving their dreams, struck a chord. So, tell us the story. First of all, why golf? 
Um, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I grew up a, you know, playing every sport, mainly, you know, hockey, baseball, and basketball. Uh, but, you know, in the summers, golf was a way to spend, you know, a little bit more time with my mom, I mean, with my dad and older brother. So, you know, I gravitated towards playing, never took it serious. Um, and then once in college, you know, once out of college, actually, you know, it just, you know, I had a really good friend that was a, that was a golf professional and uh, started playing some programs with him and, you know, started beating some of the local pros. And he was just like, hey, you should get into the business. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that, you know, well, I was unfortunate but fortunate enough, you know, in Pittsburgh at the time there weren't many minority golf professionals. So, you know, it was going to be a tough racket to break. But I was fortunate in the fact that I was coaching high school hockey and one of the kids I was coaching, his stepdad's brother happened to be an investor in a course that they just opened, you know, like two years earlier. And through some talking and getting to know him, uh, I ended up getting a job as a golf professional at his club. And, and from there on, I just, you know, I, I decided that this is what I wanted to do. I stayed in Pittsburgh for a while because that's where I'm from and worked. And then uh, decided to move to Arizona. And when I moved to Arizona, I got I enjoyed less of working and folding shirts, <laughs> and started to enjoy and started to enjoy playing more. And uh, and that's how I gravitated towards it. But it was a it was kind of a weird road to get there. But you know, kind of fortunate enough to Is, to, to get there. So, at what age did you decide to try and become a professional? Oh. God, I think I passed my I think I passed my PAT when I was 20 I think I started in the business trying when I was so what was it 94 so it been 26 Yeah. You know, I think it was it was 26 when I first took my PAT and you know, um I mean I passed it on the first try which was great. You'd have to excuse but, me, can I interrupt? Yeah. Can I interrupt? What is the PAT? You'll have to help me out there. Oh so when you become a golf professional working at a club per se to get into the PGA program right you have to pass a, P, a PAT which is called a player ability test so you know you have to go out they set up a course there's a target score you have to play 36 holes and you have to get your target score and you can't really you can't enter at least back then now it's different but back then you couldn't even enter the program you know sign up for it until you pass your PAT. Um, now I think you can enter the program, and the PAT is just something you can pass in due time. But back when I did it, if you didn't pass your PAT, you weren't even allowed to sniff getting in the program. <laughs> um, but but you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I passed on the first try, and it's weird because when there was two of us that passed, two two guys. And he is that guy is still one of my best buddies to this day. Nice. He is uh, he 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 runs the show at the a Golf Galaxy in Pittsburgh. Uh, but he yeah he's still one of my best buddies to this day. And uh, it's weird that we still not weird. It's great, but it's it's cool that we still have that friendship. You know, almost thirty years. So so let's confirm. Removed. Let's confirm. Did not make the PGA Tour. Correct. Did not. Never got through second stage. Got through first stage. You know, a few times, um, but never, never could crack that second stage uh, bubble. Never could. So the dream was then to become a seniors tour professional. 
How many cracks have you taken before success? Well, yeah, I guess the dream was there. I mean, there was a point where I wanted to quit. I mean, there was a point where, you know, I was, I reached like, it was like probably in my mid forties and I, you know, it's like a tough spot to be in, in your mid forties. You're like, you're probably too old to worry about trying to make it to the PGA tour or corn Ferry, or buy.com, whatever it was at that point. Um, but then, you know, you have to wait five years. So you got to find something to do for five years before you can take a run at the senior tour. And I, I decided at that point that I would, you know, I'd wait, figure out, play. I went to Latin America, played with the young guys for a little while. Um, and then went to Q school, um, for Q school for champions, mm-hmm. I made it to finals every year. I got through first stage every time. Um, at finals, my first two go rounds, I missed top 30, which is a key number because that gets you conditional status and straight into the Monday qualifiers. Um, I missed conditional status my first two go rounds at finals by a shot, um, which was. I mean, it was not, you know, it was brutal to deal with because I felt like, you know, I felt like I was better than that. And I felt like I, you know, could, could have made it all the way through. And then finally my third year, I cracked through and got conditional status finishing like 17th, I think. And, you know, and I had a pretty decent year that, that year. I mean, I, I think I Monday qualified four times, got into two majors, um, and then the next year, I went back to Q school again, finished like 15th or something, and then had a decent year. I think I, I Mondayed into three or four events, one major. And then I think that was the year, then the, coming into the next year, that was the year I had so shoulder surgery, which was a year ago now, and that's when all hell broke loose. It's uh, coming up to 10.32 here on uh, SCNZ. We're going to continue this uh, riveting story uh, about uh, Brian Cooper. Uh, Steve McIver doing a wonderful job interviewing him. And uh, the last uh, phrase that he said was, uh, all hell break, break, uh, sorry, all hell broke loose. And uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about that hell in terms of uh, his battling his demons and that depression, which was uh, taking over his life at that stage. Here's uh, part two with Brian Cooper. When, at what stage do you suddenly realize you were falling into depression? Uh, you know, I, I had the shoulder surgery in mid-January, um, and I think probably, you know, about two months into it, probably around mid-March, I felt like, you know, I didn't know how this was going to turn out. You know, I, I really didn't know how recovery was going to go. It was, um, it was, a, it was quite, you know, I had a lot, I had a lot wrong in that shoulder more than we thought. So, you know, a, a four month turnaround turned into what we were projecting now to be six. Um, and so I think probably right in there, it started to feel like, you know, this might be it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to recover from this. And wow. you know, I'm pretty strong willed and I push myself pretty hard. You know, I mean, I still do things now at 55 that I probably did when I was in my twenties and I probably shouldn't be doing. No, oh, no, no, no. Uh, never, never, never apologize. <laughs> never apologize for having the brain of a 21 year old and having fun. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, unfortunately, you know, I am extremely, uh, 
I don't know what the right word is, but you know, my son is everything to me. And yeah. then, you know, I started dealing, started dealing with some hateful, uh, jealous parents in his youth sports. And he's a, okay. he's a little, he's an elite hockey player at his age of nine. And, you know, that really affected me because that was one thing that I wasn't in control of. There was nothing I could do. All I had to do was sit back and deal with it. And it was something that was a, you know, quite difficult for me to do. And I think that really hurt me. And that, that pushed me a little lower. I think that was really the tipping point where it really got bad because, you know, I was trying to figure out, you know, what the hell? I'm his dad. Why can't I fix this? What is wrong? What's, is it me? Is there something wrong with me? What's the problem? Um, you know, and it was tough, you know, and that was, that was really tough to deal with, especially when you're dealing with, you know, parents who are just, yeah, just you know, pump your brakes, you know, stay in your lane and just chill out, so, you know, and so when, when was the moment you said, I, I need help? When did you, when did, did you reach out or did a not, friend not, reach out? Yeah. No, not for a while. I mean, I, I acknowledged it in probably April that there was a problem and there were some really, really dark days, but I kind of acknowledged it to myself. I didn't say anything to anybody. You know, I just kind of buried myself into, into what he was doing. I buried myself into trying to get through rehab, trying to decide if I wanted to still play this game. Um, a lot of that. And it really wasn't until, um, probably like August, maybe early. I forget the day I called my brother-in-law and I opened up to him and my, you know, and I told him and surprisingly he says, I felt, he says, I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know how to bring it up to you and ask you. And we talked and I told him that, you know, I was honestly, I was quite scared and embarrassed to share that with, you know, his sister, my wife. Um, but that I was not, I was not in a good place. I, I was really in a very dark, you know, dark place. I thought things would be better off without me than they were with me. And then, and then, you know, when I think that, you know, I'd see a picture of my son or my wife and I'd be like, Nope, you can't do that. You got to figure out a way. You got to figure out a way, you know, no matter how much you hurt, you got to figure out a way. Uh, and then finally, when I told him, he said, you got to tell, you know, my wife's name is Shelly. He said, you got to tell Shelly. And then a couple of days later, I told her, and then that was when, you know, I was lucky. The people I did my rehab with, they work with athletes, and they work with, you know, therapists. And I reached out to my PT guy, and I said, hey, I need help, dude. I said, do you know of anybody that works with athletes that can help? And he gave me a woman's name, and I've been with her ever since. I actually just saw her yesterday, um, and she's been – an absolute godsend um, to me. Wow, wow. I mean, just just briefly, uh, did, had you, did you not confide in your wife at all it was that bad? No, I did not confide. She was the second person I told. Wow. I told her brother first. I told her brother first, uh, and then he's like, you've got to tell her. And I'm like, I just don't know how because, you know, my wife looks at me as this yeah. strong character you know i mean a failing of many uh, men brian a failing of many men pride oh well yeah you know and i even said that and when i was open about it when i acknowledged it out and open i said you know it's a stigma that men have that they can't admit it 
and 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 that's wrong. And I was wrong. And you know, it took me admitting it to know that I was wrong. And it's 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 ironic you say that because you know I've had so many people on social media, you know, after getting my status and even prior to getting my status, because I was open about it. I shared it on every social platform I use. And I wasn't embarrassed about it, you know, and I had so many people reach out to me and thank me and tell me that, that, you know, because of what I did, they feel like they can now admit it and, and try to get help. And, you know, I remember one conversation in particular, it was a buddy of mine, his name is Barry Concert. He's a golfer. We were at first stage and he came up to me on the green and he said, and he, he pulled me aside and started talking to me about it. He said, hey, I've dealt with it too. He says, but that took a lot of courage on your part to be able to acknowledge that, how you did it, and so openly. And he says, I can tell you, it helped me just reading it. It made me feel good. So, you know, anybody that's listened, I've always I've said, you know, if I can help, if this helps one person, and I've, and I've found out it's helped a lot more, if, it's, if it helps one person, yeah. then – I'm I'm overjoyed. It's it's and I'm, it, and I'm overjoyed. It is such a beautiful thing to do as well, just to be honest with everybody. And if men don't speak up, then you know they're only fooling themselves. Let's fast forward. The moment you get your card, you're going to play Champions Two of the season. How good? How good was that feeling? Am I allowed to swear on your radio show? Uh, <laughs> well, mean, no, you can't. You can't drop the f bomb or the c bomb. So maybe we can. It was, it was, it was, it was, I, I still, you know, it's funny. Every time I look at the video when it's all said and done, I mean, I still get emotional. I mean, it's, it it is, anybody who knows the champion store knows it's the hardest tour in the world to get on. I mean, to be one of those guys, I've always felt that I was one of those guys, you know, but to be now one of those guys, it is, it is a very humbling and, experience and i mean i it's it's pretty cool and it's something you know i i'm I'm proud that one day i can you know my son can when he's old enough try to understand fully what happened it'll be pretty cool but he he kind of knows he gets it but it's it's a it's a if this is it's awesome, dude. I mean, I, I, there's nothing else I can say. It's awesome. Well, you know, you know, you, you know what else is awesome. You get to play against a guy called Stephen Elka, who's a Kiwi. Oh yeah, and he's and he's oh, pretty. Yeah. He's had a pretty handy season last season, didn't he? He has. <laughs> he, he he has. I mean, I, it's ironic. Elk's first event that he Monday for, you know, I Monday for. We both Mondayed up in Seattle, and that's where everything started for him. And you know, Elka's right here in the valley with me too. I haven't. I haven't I haven't picked up a club except one time since the finals, uh, you know. Except last week I went to Callaway, but other than that, you know. So I'm sure I'm going to see Alk here pretty soon when I start going back up to TPC to practice. So I'm sure he and I will have a a little conversation. So it'll be it'll be fun to catch up with him. Well, Brian, we are incredibly happy that you beat the black dog, but you continue to deal with it. Uh, that uh, you everybody knows what's going on and the way you were helping people just by sharing your story. All we can say is we wish you the best of luck on the Champions Tour and go get him. But uh, you know, try not to beat up on Alk too much. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he he's the one everybody has their eye on. Uh, 
I can't make any promises. I'm not. I, I don't want to go out there and make friends, but I definitely want to go out there and play well. And if uh, if it comes down to him and I in the end, I mean, that would be a pretty cool story. Well, you deserve everything you get, my friend. Thanks for sharing your story and and spending some time with us here on SCNZ. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and uh, God bless. How cool was that? How cool was that? And we hear so much uh, in our daily lives, not just in the sporting side of things, but people dealing with depression. Well, here's a guy on the world sporting stage who has dealt with it and come through the other side of it. Uh, it's not going to be easy for him playing on the Champions Tour. Um, there are some magnificent golfers on there who have still, even though they're past the best years of life in terms of their strength, um, they've still got it upstairs and they've still got it in terms of their timing. So, uh, look, uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, Brian Cooper uh, as much as we will uh, keep an eye on Stephen Alka in the early stages of the, the Champions Tour, which is not too far away. Fascinating stuff there. Brian Cooper with Stephen McIver. Brilliant. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Yes, it is indeed. And uh, this week's Harness Racing pick for the morning show, that's us, uh, to raise uh, funds for Women's Refuge, is at uh, Alexandra Park tomorrow night at 744 it is race three, number four, Quick Barbie. It's a small field, and Quick Barbie is actually pretty speedy. Manners can be a little bit dodgy, but it is a win chance and a tricky little race. So Quick Barbie, race three, uh, number four. Incidentally, I can give you a little bit of an update how the season's going across the shows. Breakfast have raised 610 Mornings, it's us, $607.50. Afternoons, 210 and Beaver and Kirsty, with all their inside information that they get late in the day, are up to $1,047.50. Hmm, $1,047.50. So we're 400 bucks behind them exactly, and that's who we are after. So with a bit of luck, quick Barbie will put us on the right track to recover that. We were talking before uh, about um, uh, Rafa Nadal and his exit from the Australian Open. Got a text in from Glenn saying, Hi, Smithy, great to have you back. But... What a superb man Rafa is. His respect for his opponent is good to see. Tennis, I, I has, has been blessed to have him. And Roger, of course, uh, Roger Federer, two truly great sportsmen and true gentlemen. Now, this is how Rafa bailed out of this instalment of the Australian Open. Game, Mackenzie McDonald topples the defending champion here in Melbourne. Well, Mackenzie, an incredible win. I know ultimately probably not the way you quite wanted to win it, but gee, the way you started out there against a, a fit and fresh raffle was pretty incredible. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks everyone. Um, on a, yeah, I'm really happy with how I started that match. I thought I was playing really well, serving great, returning well too, so I was really taking it to him. Uh, hate that for him in the third set there. It was uh, actually pretty tough to stay mentally engaged a little bit there, but I found a way to just pull it out, so I'm happy. What was going through your head? Because it's very hard uh, just to play the ball and not to play the man. I mean, he's a legend of our sport. You're on the cusp of a great win, but he won't go away. And he was actually playing some pretty adventurous tennis. So what was going through your head? Yeah, I mean, he's an incredible champion, you know. I mean, he's just, uh, he's never going to give up regardless of the situation. So even closing it out against a top guy like that is always tough. Um, You know, I was trying to stay so focused on what I was doing and you know, he kind of got me out of the rhythm with that. Um, but, you know, I'm happy I kind of just kept focusing on myself in the end and got through. 
It's one thing to have a plan, it's another thing to execute, and I saw you reading some notes. What was the plan coming out against Rafa? How do you break down that game? Yeah, um, you know, I think I got the guns to do it. You know, I was blasting the ball, hitting really flat. Uh, you know, last time I played him was at Chautrier, and he, he kicked my butt. So, you know, on, on clay court, it's tough to hit through. But here, I like my chances on hard. I really want to take it to him on a hard court. I'm happy I got that opportunity and, uh, and, and got away with it. Your next opponent, uh, possibly Nishioka from Japan. He's playing a young Czech qualifier. Any thoughts on those two? I mean, you've been to the fourth round a couple of times of these slams, but this is a big opportunity. You take Rafa's draw. Yeah, I uh, just got to keep focusing on myself, keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, definitely need some revenge on Nishioka. He's got me a couple of times, but uh, I'll, I'll do my homework, get some rest, uh, and I'll be ready. Mate, amazing match. Well done. Keep it rolling. Thank you. Yep, that was uh, the end of uh, Rafa, Nadal, uh, Rafa Nadal. He will get so much respect uh, from uh, any opponent that he has uh, coming up, of course, but uh, if that is to be towards the end of his career, uh, simply amazing it has been. So, uh, yep, sad to see him go. No Roger Federer. Uh, could we expect some more magic out of uh, the legendary Sir Andy Murray? Uh, let's hope so. Or will Novak Djokovic uh, persevere, even though he's carrying injuries as well? Tough time for the oldies at uh, the first slam of the calendar year. Uh, we'll be back very shortly to talk to uh, Louis Herman Watt on the wash-up from uh, yesterday's barrier draw. There's racing today at Ashburton, but there's big racing today on the Gold Coast as well. They're in makeup mode. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Uh, Louis Herman, what joins us uh, this morning? Uh, second time up for Louis, already been through the breakfast show, of course, but a busy day of racing today. Um, racing at Ashburton down south, obviously, on a good three. There's nine races there, Louis. But uh, also, of course, they're catching up, uh, catch-up mode. We talk about the track trouble we've had in this country. The Gold Coast have got some catching up to do today. That's right, Smithy. Bang on. Magic millions. Like, I think there's over $8 million up for grabs today. Um, more actually, it'd be way more than that. over ten. Um, it's crazy the price money on offer over there. So, a terrible weather on the weekend, but they irrigated forty-four mils throughout the week, which is crazy to me. So they bulls that up. Um, take solace in the fact that we've bulls it up plenty of times as well. But it's good to know that it can happen to our cousins on the West Island. Uh, you're right, racing in Ashburton today. I didn't mind. Mary Wicker in race number three for Terry Ray and Secret Express in race number two. Uh, Decisive in race number eight would have been an each-way chance as well. But, mate, I don't know if you've run your eye across these markets for Saturday yet, have you? Yeah, I've had a quick look at them. I was um, with some gentlemen last night, uh, one JGG Barry, and we were looking at uh, possible chances and the effect of the barrier draws on the market. Quite interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, Trawbriand into $3 now. Whoa-wee. And, you know, the funny thing is about that, a horse that's unbeaten, Opie Bossom, when the algorithms start pinging and, you know, the real money comes into play, all of a sudden, he could start shorter than that. Gaffer has taken some speaking into the market, touch 14, sitting at 15. Um but Tokyo Tycoon is $5.50, so if you liked them before the draw, we know they can win from Barrier 14. You're just getting a better price. You just, yeah, you are getting a better price there. 
Um, I, I like the, the three-year-old field as well with the, the two hot pots drawing one and two alongside each other. So they're going to not only have they been training together, they're going to stand in the barrier alongside each other. Yeah, it, look, it just bodes for such a, a great, exciting race. But don't rule out Sacred Satona. You're just getting a bit of price there. Barry 12 sticky, but you're getting nine bucks and Crow West. Six fifty to $8. So there is value to be found if you want to play around the favourites. OK, Legato and Wild Knight, of course, are those two favourites. Louis, have uh, a terrific day today. I can imagine you're keeping a close eye on the Gold Coast. We're going to go from uh, Louis to Huey after the break. Hugh Bainan on all things basketball in this country. As much other things, including, of course, a stump smithy around about 11.30 as we uh, look forward to midday with Mark Watson taking over the helm of the ship. That is very tight, as it has been uh, for the last couple of months. So if we win four out of the, our last six games, then we're for sure in the playing playoffs. We've done well, we're playing well, we're competing well, so wherever it ends, it's a good thing for us. Uh, we do feel a great sense of responsibility to bring the breakers back to playing meaningful games in the end of the season. Breakers head coach there, Modi Mayor, on uh, the scenario for them to make the playoffs and what a fine season they've had, particularly with the benefit of being able to, to play at home. Uh, good time for us to catch up with uh, our basketball commentator, Hugh Bainan, of course. Uh, I've just uh, got away from uh, being an administrator in uh, New Zealand basketball. We'll talk to him a wee bit about that uh, shortly. But, uh, Huey, uh, good morning to you. Breakers Hawks uh, tonight, 7.30 at the Spark Arena. Uh, big game, obviously, as Modi Moore has just pointed out for us. But uh, who's favourite for you here? Well, the breakers need to be, Smithy. Good morning to you uh, and Happy New Year. Good to chat to you again. Um, he, he couldn't have said it better, Modi. You know, he, he nailed it. Four out of six gets them in. Those, you know, out of those six games they've got left, they've got the Hawks twice, they've got the Bullets twice, and they've got Sydney and Melbourne. Now, to put it in very black and white terms, Sydney and Melbourne are the two, well, that's two of the best teams in the comp. Those are the two harder games on paper. However, this season of the NBL has been phenomenally close. Everyone's beating everyone. This Hawks team have started to pick it up and play really well. Uh, and Brisbane can cause anyone troubles on any given day, which I imagine is really frustrating if you're a Brisbane fan because they have as many bad days as they do good. But for the Breakers, this is a must-win game. If they go into this six-game final, you know, six-game stretch down the end of the season and begin it with a loss at home to a team that they really should and need to beat, um, then it's then it's trouble. But I will say, you know, Modi's absolutely nailed it. Whether they make the playoffs or not, this season has been fantastic for the Breakers. They've gone back to playing the brand of basketball um, that, that they're known for. There's more keys around the roster than I feel. They're back at home after two, you know, terribly um, troubling and questionable years for the franchise, given what they had to go through. So win or lose, make the playoffs or not, um, it's been a success this campaign. Let's just hope you know, they can ride it, get down the stretch and, uh, and get into the finals because it'd be great to see them back in the playoffs. So what's happened recently? Why have they just uh, slightly slipped off the rails? I think they took a lot of people by surprise at the start of the season. You know, they certainly took me by surprise. When I, when I saw the roster and, and also coming back from what they'd been through, like I mentioned with the two years away in Australia, at the start of the season, I had them pegged not, going, not making the playoffs. So they came out the gates hard. Modi had them playing a really hard-nosed, full-commitment brand of basketball. Um, Barry Brown Jr. obviously suited himself as one of the best um, 
uh, imports in the competition. And then gradually, some other teams maybe have worked them out, maybe have caught up a little bit, maybe have found their own rhythm. Uh, the Breakers have had to deal with injuries to Will McDowell-White, who's you know one of their most crucial players. Rob Lowe's coming back from an injury. Uh, not injury here and there to everyone else. So they've lost a bit of consistency. Uh, as Modi said in that last game, that thriller against Kansas, they lost it. was his first game for about eight or nine weeks with his full roster, where they've actually been able to train properly. I mean, these aren't, these are, these aren't excuses, because that's the give and take of every professional sports franchise in every season that's ever happened, right? You have injuries, you have to deal with them. Maybe their depth hasn't been there as it is for the other clubs, um, but they fought well. The games, even the losses, have been entertaining. Uh, they've left it all out there and they've been good watchers. So, like I say, I'm not down on, on them when, when they've been losing. I think they've, they've shown a lot this season, a lot of positives. Uh, and they can definitely win these last, last few games. Who knows what Sydney Kings you're going to bump into once, you know, they're already locked in. Um, so they've locked in top slot by the time you bump into them. You never know what's going to happen down the stretch of a basketball season. No, you don't. But it looks like at the moment, anyway, they will miss the top two, which means they're consigned to play in the play-in tournament for the postseason. Uh, tell us a little yeah. bit about that if it eventuates. Yeah, so it's a, a borrow or a steal from the NBA, um, which is great. You know, it's 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 a really fun way of bringing in the playoffs. It means, and we used it in the NBL, this New Zealand NBL last season as well. Uh, basically, it just extends the interest throughout the regular season, right? For so many years in both the Australian and New Zealand NBL, the top four were locked in with with um, six weeks to go. So fans switch off, they turn off the tellies, they, they don't go to the arenas anymore, that's my team's out of the playoffs, I don't need to see it. Or my team's in the playoffs, I'll wait for them. Now it just extends um, the interest because, well, hang on, we've still got a chance. We've got a chance right up until the last week to get into this play-in. Uh, number one and two will be locked in, Sydney and Cairns, um, and deservedly so. And then it's out of the next four, who can grab those last two spots? And then turn up, yep, with some more tied legs because you played an extra game or two, but... Uh, with all the momentum, you know, and riding the high because you've worked your way into the playoffs. So I think it adds a really nice element. And with my administrator's hat on, I really like that that um, that format. And it adds a really nice element, keeps fans engaged for a lot longer. Do you think they might have been a victim of their own generosity and their own goodwill in terms of taking the show on the road at home? Uh, oh, you mean as in playing home games away from Auckland? Yes, I do, yeah. Yeah, well, without pulling the curtain back too much, I don't think that was entirely their choice. I think Spark Arena is a tough place to book uh, to book out. It's an expensive place to book out. You know, financially, it hasn't been a great couple of years for the Breakers, obviously, playing away from home, having to live in Australia for six months. I'm pretty sure if they could have played every game home at Spark Arena, they would have. Um, they had to pivot. They had to, you know, they had to make the best out of a, a tough situation than they have. It is fantastic for fans to be in New Plymouth and watch the Breakers and, and Christchurch. But yes, it's tough for the Breakers. But I wouldn't say I think they were forced into that scenario more than more than choosing uh, to, to go down that road. Hugh, you're you're out of the administration side of it, which uh, was news to me because um, I've been away of it, obviously. But <clears throat> when you look back on your time with basketball New Zealand, what will your lasting memories be at this point? Just what a fantastic organisation and hardworking and, and thankless task that they have to do. I'm sure it's the same at uh, any national sporting organisation. It is a tough job. So you've got to keep a lot of people happy um, from um, the professionals, the world-class professionals who, who are playing in the top leagues in the world, all the way down to the parents of a 12-year-old who didn't make their local team's roster. Um, so they're on the phone to the CEO. You know, that's that's the wide scope of people you need to make happy and everyone in between. So I think Dylan, Dylan Boucher and the crew are doing a fantastic job. I'm not going far, Smithy. For me, it was 
a personal decision. You know, that's a that's a behemoth of a job running the NBL. Um, I've got two little ones and a third on the way, and they're only going to be kids once, and I, and I want to spend a bit more time with them. But I'm not going far. I've just been put put onto the board of the, of the Nelson Giants here at home. I'm at, you catch me right now at a Nelson uh, college practice where I'm assistant coach this season, so I'll still be mm-hmm. commentating games in the NBL, both NBL. So I'm not going far. And I'm, I'm, like I said to Dylan when I left, I'm full support, happy to help Barcelona wherever I can going forward. Um, yeah, for me, it's just you know I just want a bit more time around my family at home and do something a bit do something locally. Um, but yeah, my lasting impression will just be what a fantastic and growing basketball community we have in New Zealand. Every year, there's new faces at every tournament. And it's so good to see the number of kids who play basketball is just just phenomenal. Um, and it's a really nice vibe around the sport at the moment. You know, they went through some tough times and um, the infrastructure certainly took a while to catch up to the population uh, and the popularity of the sport. Um, but that is happening now, uh, and it's happening because um, the whole community is getting behind it. So it's it's, uh, it's a really nice vibe uh, in basketball at the moment around the country. Yes, you make a very good point there. It is a growth industry, uh, growth industry as such, not just a growth sport, because of the impact it's having on youth in New Zealand and the inclusion it's having for them. Oh, 100%. You know, it's... it's, it's the, you know, think back to when I was young, we got about 30, 30 minutes of NBA on our screens every every week, right? And that's that's how you either got into it or you didn't. Now, these kids, like I said, I'm at Nelson College practice, in between plays and they're stopping and they're on their phones, they're looking at the NBA, they're watching NBA games, they're watching what Steph Curry, what LeBron James, what, what Luka Doncic are doing. It is, they are fully immersed in basketball now, these kids. So um, it's a completely different playing field to what it was, and, and it's showing. It's showing through the numbers, and uh, it's only going to get bigger and bigger, um, which is fantastic. The breakers are at the forefront of that. The tall blacks, the tall ferns too, and I hope to, you know, I like to uh, like to think that I can look back proudly on what we did with the Thousand NBL, and, and in particular Toihi from a women's point of view. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about Toihi um, into their second season now, but uh, with the coverage that they had on television last year, um, I, I just thought that that was an out and out win, wasn't it? Yeah, it re- really was. And I, when I did my little yeah, internal farewell speech to everyone, I, I couldn't thank everyone enough for the help in putting that together. You know, I've got a daughter, friends of mine, former Tall Blacks, former Tall Black Centurions with daughters and, and who play netball, you know, because they haven't had that opportunity to play basketball. Uh, or they've played basketball and then stopped when they finished school because they didn't have anywhere to go. Um, so for us to be able to create that pathway, uh, and I, I said when I left, I, I hope in 20 years' time, you know, when my daughter's, you know, 21, 22, uh, whether she plays or not, she'll have some women's basketball to go and watch in her hometown. Uh, and I expect it to have grown by then. We'll have more than five teams. We'll be, you know, up, up around the men's with eight, eight to 12 teams by then. I think it'll be, um, yeah, I really hope that it, it lasts. And I think it will. Basketball is going to put a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of energy behind it, as have Sky Sports. So uh, I think we're onto a winner with Toei here as a you know, young female basketballer. What about the other question to me is a, a lot of sports in this country are gauged by their their yardstick team, their top brass team, which of course in your particular code um, are the Tall Ferns and the, and the Tall Blacks. I, I just wonder about player availability, the likes of a Stephen Adams and that sort of thing, uh, and our, um, our reputation on the world stage. Is that something that st- is still a focus? A hundred percent. You know, that's a lot of times that's how people get in, right? They see they see their heroes playing, uh, and that's certainly how it works with the All Blacks, the Black Caps. People growing up watching Brendan McCullum playing, yeah, I want to go out and swing a swing a stick like he does, you know, um, uh, or run down the wing like you know, like Jonah did. You know, that those are our, our superstars and our role models when we're kids, and we'd love the Tall Blacks and the Tall Ferns to get up there. 
basketball suffers like football does. You know, it's such a good game. Um, whereas the All Blacks can entice England and Wales and France down here to play. You know, there's the Dream Team aren't coming down here anytime soon to, to play the Tall Blacks, you know, at uh, TSB Arena or, or anything like that. Unfortunately, it's, it's... And we have to travel a lot, and therefore it's very, very expensive. Unfortunately, from a commercial point of view, you know, games at 2 a.m. in Lebanon in the middle of the night don't bring a lot of commercial dollars in. Uh, your casual sports fan will look at Korea or Lebanon or Jordan and go, oh, those guys aren't good at football or rugby or, you know, cricket, so they're not very good sporting nations. They're phenomenal at basketball. <laughs> you know, basketball is a huge global game. Every country in the world plays it. And ones that we're not used to seeing on the on the sporting stage are really good at it. So the Tall Blacks might go over to Lebanon, lose by two points in an absolute thriller, and at home, you know, you open, you open your newspaper, see that result, you're like, oh, the Tall Blacks aren't doing very well. Well, actually, sometimes a result in Saudi Arabia or a result in Croatia is phenomenal, even if it's a loss. So it's just that education that we're trying to, you know, trying to put through. I, I released a book a couple of years ago on the Tall Blacks for that very reason, to try and get this next generation involved in the Tall Blacks, not just following LeBron James and Steph Curry, which I can't recommend enough. Obviously, they're the best of the best, um, but supporting our teams as well. And the Breakers have done a great job of that ever since their inception. Uh, it's now trying to get the Tall Blacks and the Tall Ferns to that level. And, and having them at home playing in our leagues helps, um, but, and having more home games helps. And obviously, the pandemic put a nix on that, but the Tall Blacks have had a few home games. We've got another one coming up soon, uh, one in Christchurch, one in Wellington. So uh, we're getting there. It's baby steps with the international and the international stuff, but we definitely need to, to put them up as our heroes. Okay. And what about the pathway uh, towards uh, our, our kids? I mean, you, you may well have one there at Nelson College through the university system. Is that still uh, something that we focus on, getting them into that, that university system in America? Well, we have over 160 boys and girls in playing college basketball at the moment. Kiwis playing college basketball, which is great. I was at um, young Maya Jones's farewell just the other week, who's the daughter of Phil Jones, the great Phil Jones. She's off to college, um, played Div 1 basketball in St. Mary's at the end of this month. So that pathway is, is thriving. What we've been trying to do, I keep saying we because I'm so used to uh, being having my Basketball New Zealand hat on, but what Basketball New Zealand ha- have been growing over the past few years, led by Dylan Boucher, is is um, creating those other pathways. College isn't for everyone, Smithy. You know, some people don't like, you get homesick or they, or they choose the wrong college or they're kind of, um, there's, there's always sharks out there trying to make money off people and they say, oh, I can get your kid into college if you give me this much money. It's trying to cut off those avenues, but also create pathways at home. So the Breakers is a good one. The sales NBL now is increased. There's more money in it than ever before. So you can get paid to play basketball at home. Toihi now is a pathway we've created for women. So you don't have to go to college if, if your grades aren't, your thing if you if you don't want to study you know not everyone wants to get a degree they want to just go into work or you just want to play basketball stay at home those pathways are as what basketball didn't have been trying to create and have done over the past five to ten years you uh, i've got one final question which i did not write so please don't hold this personally did you ever think or in your lifetime do you ever think and this is not by me uh wales will ever beat the all blacks uh, that you'll be able to witness Oh, Smitty, Smitty, Smitty. You know what? My my old man's visiting at the moment from Wales. He's been here for, for Christmas. He's never seen it in his lifetime, and he's 65. So I actually would rather it happen. I, if it happens once in his lifetime, and I'm there for it, to see the tears run down his face, that that'd be more than me. Then then they can never win again for the rest of my life. That's fine. But I really want the old man to see it. You know, um, it's uh, I grew up going to those games at Cardiff, and there's such reverence from the Welsh fans to the All Blacks as well like it's a really friendly rivalry uh from the welsh point of view i understand it's not the highest priority on the on the all blacks fans point of view 
Um, but you would have, you've been sidelined at that stadium however many times in your career and uh, or all around the world watching Wales play New Zealand, and it is one of the great sporting fixtures. It'll happen. Surely it'll happen, Smithy. Now Warren Gatton's back, right? <laughs> Maybe the World <laughs> Cup final this year. Maybe, maybe who you just you just absolutely never know. I hope uh, I hope that uh, I don't know how long's your father here for. Would you get him a, a chance to become a loyal Tasman Marco? Well, yeah, he's here till March, but um, yeah, we've I've taken him down to Trafalgar Park around the stadium. You know, it's a it's a beautiful spot. I'm looking forward to the Marco season this year. They're a great franchise as well. So certainly not short on great franchises down here in the top of the south. Well, get him a Crusader scarf as a going away present, mate. That'll make him feel nice and warm when he gets home. Huey, uh, as always, uh, fantastic to catch up with you. Regards to your father and uh, all the best in uh, life after administration. Loving your commentaries, mate. And I know you'll never be far from the game. Thank you, and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks, Huey. Cheers, uh, Hugh Bain in there with us, folks, uh, with uh, what's going on uh, around New Zealand basketball. Of course, he's uh, no longer with him from an administrative point of view, but you can tell his mind and his heart is still very much there and will continue to be so, because why? He absolutely loves the game inside out. It's 11.19 here on SENZ. The celebrations are about to start. Ball in play. Iuli with the shot. There it is! There it is! Look at the Otago Nuggets! They storm onto the floor. They are your 2022 Sells NBL champions. Congratulations to the Otago Nuggets. They're singing, they're dancing, they're hugging, they're high-fiving, and they are all getting around Keith Williams. Well, there's only uh, one reason I played that, actually. Um, it's, it's not really because that uh, I believe that the Otago Nuggets will win any awards at the Halbergs this year. It's just because our boss is in town, Craig Hutchinson, and that is just straight out kissing his butt playing that because, of course, he owns the Otago Nuggets first year in, and they won. They won the sales NBL. So uh, that's for you, Hutchie. Just a reminder that uh, you can have success in this country, not, uh, not to worry too much. Uh, speaking of success in this country, one of the uh, um, employment decisions you've made, of course, was to bring Araho on board, the lovely Araho, and that's been a success as well. I'm uh, take day that. in, day out. With that, your magnificent pronunciation and oh, oh and I have missed it so much. But I, I, the real reason I want to have a chat to you now is about uh, the People's Award for the Halbergs and and get your perspective on it because uh, I, I kind of sense because of the Black Ferns and their success, which was a wave that went through the country. I kind of uh, kind of sense they're going to dominate uh, most of the Halbergs this time around. I find it really hard to pick anybody else on that list except Ruby Tui. I know there's the line out one as well. But I my my thing my most favorite no, my most memorable image from the whole year of sport is just her face. Her face and her hair and her vibe and her attitude and her asking Auntie Cindy if she could have a dern. She's become She's bigger than a meme, which is quite hard in a little country like New Zealand. But I was also looking at that list. I remember because I had to write the story when it was announced, when the finalists for New Zealand's favourite sporting moment were announced. And I felt like I should have said Shane Van Gisbergen was my favourite on the list because I'm a motorsport nut. But there's mm. Ruby Tui. And isn't that cool that the women's sport representatives have eclipsed everything else on there? And let's be honest, Aaron Gates was out the gate at the Commonwealth Games. He was amazing. He was, and it's a question of how, 
I, I look at it and I define define how that award should be done. I mean, I look at Ajaz Patel because the way you look at um, motor racing, I look at cricket quite clearly. Uh, and in the history of the game, no one is, uh, only three people have taken 10 wickets in an innings. That's the history. We're talking 2,000, 3,000 test matches, I don't know, but a hell of a lot, a hell of a lot of them. But that is, to me, is the moment he took the 10th wicket. I mean, we're talking about a moment here, I think a moment in time. Uh, was that moment um, the, the, when he took the 10th wicket or the 10 wickets overall. Now, my understanding is he didn't even make the cut for Sportsman of the Year, having taken 10 wickets in an innings. God knows what you have to do to get that kind of recognition. Obviously, it's not good enough because you can't possibly take 11. There's only 10 to get. He's but had, them, I, I, you know, he's had yeah. the misfortune of taking the 10th wicket the same year that Ruby Tui makes an entire stadium sing with her. It's just mm. a great misfortune that these incredible sport moments happen. I, I think we're probably faced with those sorts of decisions every year. I, the Halbergs confuse me a little bit with the criteria. I know listening to Stephen McIver, because he's been involved with the Halbergs for so long, he's tried to explain on air the criteria for the Halbergs. And I, I, you know what? It's a feel-good event. Um, and Ruby Tui feels good. Okay, well, I can tell you a little bit. I was involved with it too for a number of years. And, and my last year, oh, my, the last year of how they did it back in those days was coincided with my first year. And what they did, they flew every judge as such, it was I think about a dozen, flew them to a, a room in Wellington and you sit around um, and you debate. You actually debated around the room the nominations. Uh, there were people like Keith Quinn in the mix, uh, Brendan Telfer, Joseph Romanus, noted journalists around the country, and they would sit around the table and debate and debate and debate over, some were obvious, some weren't, and people would basically fight for their man or their woman in, mm. in that respect. Uh, How that very noble that sounds. I know, it, it does sound very noble, but that disappeared and it became very much uh, an online thing. So and was you, there good representation a... then, Smithy? Like when you talk about that, I just see a room full of like talking th thumbs, you know, bald-headed yeah. people around a table discussing why their sport's better than the other. So do you think there's is better representation and it's more diverse now with the Hellbergs? Because, you know, I'm a sport I, I, fan. I don't play yes. at a high level like you did. So I can only commentate from the sidelines of my favourite sport where there'll be people who are listening today who have competed at really high levels who have a, a much more um, robust opinion than I would. I'm a super yeah, fan of Ruby Tui. Yeah, but you've got you've got a double-edged sword here because you you are involved with people who play at a high level or talk about it at a high level, um, but you're also a a, a woman who um, follows sport from the couch as well, um, and you know so therefore you have the opportunity. You're you're the, you're the quintessential person that votes on this. It's a, and the People's Choice Award, I think, is is a nice feel good. You know, I'd watch it from the bathroom to be honest, Smithy, but I probably shouldn't tell you that. Mm. Thank you. Well, nice to know that you've got a TV in your bathroom. Uh, I'm very happy for you. Uh, just watch the electrics there and don't drop the plug in the bath while you're in there. That's all I can possibly suggest to you. It is now. Thank you very much for your valuable input, as always. It is 11.30 here on SENZ. And just by magic, absolute magic, uh, we're about to hear Araha race across to her new studio and read the news for us. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. 
Stumpkin, is he? What? Hey, it's time for Stump Smithy. Uh, oh, I think my mic's a little bit hot there. Um, yeah, it's time for Stump. We've got full board of calls. Uh, how are you feeling for it today, Smithy? Uh, I'm 0-3, so uh, Robbie's on uh, on phones today, and uh, I'm not sure who wrote the questions. Did you write them, Brian? Uh, well, 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 wait. If if you say they're good, yes. If you say they're not, okay. uh, I'll blame the bloke that's not here. Okay, so that'll be you, Logan, if you're listening, and the questions are crap. That's on you. Rightio, who we got? Uh, who we got first up this morning, Brian? So first up to the Creasel, a man who's no stranger uh, to stumped. It is our our friend Craig from Tauranga. How you going, Craig? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, welcome home, mate. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you too. It is good to be home. See some sunshine. Please don't miss all the crap with yeah. it. <laughs> You're the lucky man. Right of the subjects today, um, Brian? Okay, Craig, so the three subjects for you today are cricket, rugby, and the 2023 Australian Open. Yeah, the 23 Australian Open. I've just walked in the country, haven't seen any of it. So, um, oh, cricket and rugby, both, both in Smithy's Wheelhouse. Let's have a crack at cricket with Smithy. Come on. Oh, nice. Here we go. Takes a brave man, but sometimes they, they never give Smithy even a chance to catch a ball. So, uh, first question for you. The Black Caps recently finished a series with Pakistan. Who are they currently playing? Uh, India. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, it goes without saying. I know Smithy would have had that one, so we'll move on to question number two. In that ODI series against Pakistan, which Black Caps batter had the highest single innings score? Sorry, the, in the ODI, did you say? Through that series, in a single innings, which Black Caps batter scored the most runs for a single innings? Oh, geez, I've got two in mind. I'll go with Devin Conway. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right Three in the comes. slot, and away it goes. Back over the bowler's head. Hey, look at that. Uh, yep. Last one. This is, I mean, Smith, Smithy's just been silent this whole time. I'm throwing these balls down and he's giving me the evils like, mate, I'm telling you to pitch it up. So we're going to try this last one here. Yeah, the first one was a bit of a half-track, you've got to be said. Yeah, hey, you know, sometimes we've got to be kind. Uh, final third and final question. Of the Black Caps bowlers in that Pakistan ODI series, who took the most wickets in a single innings for the Black Caps? Okay, I don't know, so it'll be a guess, and I'll go with Southie. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Mate, nailed it, Smithy. Well, I've just gone out and make myself a cup of tea, shall I? I mean, for goodness sake, I can't even get involved in my own competition, Brian. Those questions were so <laughs> damn easy. It's like you're giving Craig a welcome home present. Yes, no, it did Appreciate feel it. like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig, uh, you have one. Um, I think we've probably got your details, but just stay on the line so Robbie can confirm that uh, you have uh, got everything in place so we can get that money to you. Um, enjoy the beautiful mount, and we'll catch up with you again, no doubt, very shortly. Cheers, man. Thanks, Smithy. Cheers. Uh, Craig there from uh, Tauranga, who's uh, one of our regular correspondents, uh, and, uh, of course, the rugby season coming up shortly, so Craig will be... Hot on the buzzer again. It's uh, coming up to 11.37 here on SENZ. Back shortly.
A great uh, Glenn Campbell, of course, who left us some um, uh, five years ago with uh, Rhinestone Cowboy there. We just thought we'd just throw that in as a nice little interlude, actually. It's not like we're talking about rodeo or anything like that. It was just a, a bit of a Glenn Campbell tribute. And we know there's a lot of Glenn Campbell fans out there who listen to the show. Uh, Taylor might be. Uh, Taylor's texted in and said, Smithy, can you please give us an insight to uh, the Aussie Test Summer? From a Kiwi cricket fan, I've uh, since a young age always been drawn to the Aussie Summer of Test, regardless of the opposition. Uh, back when it was Channel 9, it was awesome, but nowadays it's even better with Fox. The passionate crowds they draw for tests and the dominant force they tend to be at home. Even though I don't like the Aussie test side, they seem to be my biggest draw card for watching cricket over summer. Apologies if this has been addressed during the week. Well, we've talked a little bit about it, uh, Taylor, but not uh, more so about the coverage, and I agree it is very good at, at uh, Fox Television, but uh, the team itself is, is going through uh, a very interesting, interesting period, and it's the post-Justin Langer period. Uh, now, there's a lot of people who could not believe Justin Langer as coach would be sacked because he did exactly what Australia cricket wanted him to do. He turned uh, what was an absolute schmozzle after Sandpaper Gate into a united side, it seemed, from the outside who could perform on the field. Um, he found some talent and um, made them effectively the best test team in the world. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But they didn't like the players, didn't like the way he did it. Uh, he was too tough on them in the dressing room situations and team talks. Um, oh, it was critical when they had poor performances intermittently and he gave it to them left, right and centre. And they didn't like it that way. Um, so once they got, uh, they had to get rid of uh, the keeper, Tim Payne, who was their captain, and pointed Pat Cummins. One of the first things the players said was, Pat, uh, let's change the coach as well. And they got in uh, a guy who just runs a fairly cool ship, really. He's not a media kind of guy. A lot of, in fact, a lot of people don't even know his name is. Uh, his name is uh, Andrew McDonald, and um, you know they don't even. He doesn't like the forefront. It's very much the Pat Cummings ship. So uh, that's where it's at now. Um, and still, uh, they're trying to win the hearts of uh, their cricket fans. The crowds were okay. I think it's fair to say okay. Uh, the test at the Gabba was very well supported, but it only lasted two days, so there was a big issue with the pitch up there, uh, and someone, uh, of course, will suffer for that, probably the head groundsman. Um, but by and large, the crowds were, what they said, were just okay for the summer, and there was the backlash still that they've got to get over from that, um, because they are still, uh, in my opinion, day in, day out, the best cricket team in the world. They take a serious amount of beating over there. They'll take a serious amount of beating wherever I um, mean, the, the World Test Championship, which they're almost certain to be in, is, is at the Oval this year. The Oval produces a, a very good test pitch, which encourages spin as well. So Nathan Lyon will be massive uh, in that particular effort. Um, he is the best the finger spinner, I think, going around in the world. Didn't have great success in the last test at Sydney, but uh, that, was, um, that was just a, a bit of an anomaly, really. But uh, outside of that, uh, you look at their uh, top seven batters now, um, you, you put in uh, Kawaja Warner as the one under pressure a double century got him out of jail of course in Melbourne uh, and then you have Lubber Shane and Smith who are undoubted Travis Head has been a revelation because not just only uh, is he solid with his scores he scores very very quickly and he can take you out of a game quite quickly Alex Carey is their wicketkeeper batsman capable of batting at 6 but bats at 7 when they're at full strength because Cameron Green uh, their all rounder who's a giant of a kid really just a youngster uh, still developing very much at the game, but can bowl with a new ball, um, can bat high up the order, can bat in the middle of the order. He has uh, been, I think, the missing link for them. And then the bowling attack. Uh, take your pick, Stark, Hazelwood. Uh, you know, you've got Cummins, uh, you, you've got this uh, 
all sorts of people waiting in the wings like Nessa and uh, what about Scotty Boland who is an absolute legend as well so they are a side who uh, I think are the complete picture in terms of test cricket so don't expect us to go over there when our next invitation comes along and knock them over and don't expect them to lay down when they come over here next time I don't know the exact cricket dates but um, they are a side worth watching for their cricket ability alone so uh, Taylor I hope that's uh, answered your question the West Indies were useless can't see them being any better uh, for quite some time because they just don't have the playing strength. Uh, uh, I think some of their better players tend to focus on T20 cricket for obvious reasons. In South Africa, well, they were extremely, extremely disappointing um, on the basis uh, that uh, they just didn't appear uh, to have the batting strength to take on the Australian bowling attack. Their bowlers were quite good. Uh, Rabada was disappointing. Uh, but their batting lineup uh, behind Dean Algar, uh, including Dean Algar and behind him, was pretty woeful, really. They had a couple of fighting innings, but apart from that, uh, they had not much else um, to, to really rave about. So uh, they, they've got issues there. Uh, we talked about um, having to go back and fix. Uh, Rob Walter's got the job of going to fix the, the white ball side of things. Whoever's got to go back and try and fix the test side of things, I do not know. Uh, but they have an interesting system over there, um, and uh, we know it's a, it's been part of the rugby side. It's there in the cricket. It's there in all sports, and uh, it, it's not producing the right. That system at the moment is not producing the right kind of players to make South Africa a worthy Test nation. It's as simple as that. They were poor, very very poor. I hope that's uh, answered your question, Taylor. Uh, I want to move now on to uh, a little bit of uh, UFC, Brian, because there's something quite big coming up in Brazil. Is that right? Yeah, yes, um, Smithy, the UFC returns to Brazil um, for the first time since the pandemic. So when the pandemic broke, they actually had an event happening in Brazil and they ended up having to do it in front of an empty stadium. And then they brought in the whole um, the Las Vegas centre that they have now. But this is huge this weekend. It's the light heavyweight bout is up for grabs. Now, people who aren't aware, the light heavyweight bout was fought for uh, about a month ago. And it was such a boring fight that while the two were getting announced that it was a draw and walking out of the cage, the people at the UFC were talking to the next two people they wanted to fight for it in Brazil. So this is Teixeira at 40, 48 years old, probably his last go at it. He's had it before. Um, I just got to say middle-aged man power was no joke, but I don't know if at 48 he's still got it. Uh, versus Jamal Hill at 31 years old, who's a huge up-and-comer in the in the division. He's like the new school Chuck Liddell. Um, so that match there is going to be huge for the light heavyweight title you know Dana needs a champion the last two blokes are so boring so he's looking at these two um, I'm hoping my money's on Hill but um, you can't you, you, you can't forget about the old man you just you just can't he uh, every time people expect him to lose he comes out and shows these young blokes uh, that it's not just a young man's game now in the co-main event we have uh, the scariest little man ever to exist Davison Figueredo the god of war uh, taking on the nerdiest man to ever be in MMA uh, Brendan Moreno now he's the guy who uh, fought Kai Kata France last and managed to put him out with the uh, liver kick. So they're going up for that for the fourth time. I'm not sure people are too interested in that. I am personally. Um, I think it's going to be an amazing scrap. Now, there's 15 fights that night, Smithy. 15 fights on the card, and every fight has a Brazilian on it. I think that's pretty crazy. That is amazing. Uh, and it's such a strong hold of sport. 
uh, within Brazil. I mean, it'll never overtake football, but it's so powerful. Why do you think that is the case, Brian? Why do you, why do you really think that that is the case? Well, they're kind of um, one of the countries that were at the forefront of the emergence of MMA. So they already had this no-rules thing called shoot the boxing, and then they would just beat each other up harder. And then MMA came, and the first like goat of MMA is Brazilian. His name is Hoist Gracie. So that's part of it. Why? And just the whole they had to um, the natives when they were uh, they had they weren't allowed to do martial arts, so they created the dance form capoeira, and it just sort of flows off that stuff there. I, I, I believe sort of. Warriors, really interesting, fascinating. Actually, getting the background of it, um, I've often thought, um, and I've said this often, that I think uh, Dana White's the smartest man in the world because I, I take a slightly different attitude to it to you. But um, I mean, he gets um, men and women all around the world to beat the, to kick themselves, <laughs> beat themselves up, knee themselves in the head, um, you know, elbow themselves in the head grapple all over the place he clips the ticket on the way passing and they get a little bit and he gets the majority of it and they actually beg to get an opportunity to do it oh yeah yeah he gets the lion's share all right he's very very smart when it comes to that uh (laughs) yeah it's it's a bit crazy it's it's different to the boxy model they don't have the ali act to protect them in that way so yeah i mean something needs to change that's part of the reason why the heavyweight champ is no longer with the ufc he needed three things and one of them was uh better representation and and care of the fighters and dana just nah not isn't going to give it to him okay power is an amazing thing in sport as well it is uh coming up to 11:53. and speaking of power all the power this afternoon will be with mark watson we'll speak with him shortly it's coming up to 11.58 here on SENZ, which it's uh, time almost to, to hand over to Mark Watson, who is the custodian this afternoon. Now, Mark, what have you got on your show? Oh, we're going to go head down to your part of the country this weekend. We have the Sylvia Potts Classic track and field meet, big meet in New Zealand athletics. And so we're going to catch up with Tian Welpton, who, along with Eddie Osei-Nakisha, who is no longer, were, is one of the two leading men's sprinters. So just trying to find out a little bit about what Tian, what the year looks like, how important this particular track and field meet is, and uh, yeah, just just give it really an opportunity to promote that particular track and field meet and try and get as many people along in the Hawke's Bay as possible to see sort of a, arguably what is really a golden time in New Zealand athletics. Okay. Um, the athlete that uh, went to the NFL, what chance of succeeding? A uh, little, I would have thought. Um yeah, interesting one. I'm not sure. I don't know him well enough. I'm not sure what his mechanics and motor skills are like outside of sprinting. But uh, look, why not? I, I, I would have thought maybe sevens rugby might have been a better opportunity in terms of a pathway through to the Olympics. But look, we'll, we'll get we'll we'll settle back and we we watch and we wish him all the best. And the reality is, he should have gone to the Commonwealth Games last year, and the selectors just got it horribly wrong. What else have you got lined up, mate? Oh, we're going to stick on a little bit of a theme. So we're also going to um, talk a little bit of Half Ironman, New Zealand Half Ironman Championships in Tauranga yes. this weekend. Big race. So we'll um, have Braden Curry, current New Zealand Ironman champion, four-time coast-to-coast champion on the programme. We're going to talk a little bit of Wakayama paddling. They've got their nationals on as well. So just an eclectic mix of slightly different sport. Look forward to it, Mark. Uh, all the best this afternoon. My thanks go to uh, Robbie McFarlane, who's been looking after things in terms of getting people in and out of the show today, and uh, Brian Rudderty, who's been on the number one seat, running the cutter. Fantastic, Brian, that UFC input as well was absolute gold. And to Araha for your input. Yes, uh, I think Ruby Tui is probably the favourite to win that award. I think she'll win it quite comfortably, to be perfectly honest. In fact, the Blackburns will clean up, absolutely clean up. We'll see you tomorrow.